Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast, brought to you by Aura Studios. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, mainly focusing on lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, at times, we expand into cases from anywhere in the world and all ones that are well known. As we are a true crime podcast, this caution is always advised, and today there could be graphic descriptions of violence, so please be aware. In fact, today you may need to prepare yourself for an intense and gripping tale that may leave you questioning how well you truly know the people around you. So, if you do like what you hear, please do follow us on your preferred social media platform, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice, and if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It means the world to us. If you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. We currently only have one tier, and that is at £1 a month. We release bonus content every month. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes, or visit patreon.com forward slash cpod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D. We do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our patient supporters as well. So, Rage, how have you been since we last spoke? Anything new happening in your life? I'm just going to fill a bit of space in here, listen, because um, just as I was doing that, Rachel decided to eat curly whirly, and now she, at the moment she's currently on mute, choking to death on it. So, I'm there we go. I'm she's not. She's not dead. As for context, I thought we were a lot earlier on in our terms and conditions than we actually were. So um, that was hard work. A lesson in life. Curly whirly is not to be snacked on during pod recordings. Be careful when you ingest a curly whirly. So (laughs) apart from from choking today, how have you been? Anything new in your life? Been sparkling, thanks. Lots lots going on. Um, Been to Dublin. Andrew and I uh, met yesterday, didn't we? We did. Unfortunately, this is, you might be thinking, why are we not recording this together? Because I forgot my microphone. Boom. So, yes. It's we okay, did. I forgave him. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a nice trip. And uh, yeah, all good. How about you? I'm good, thank you very much. It's Friday, end of the week. So, you know, DIY, ready for the weekend. Oh, yeah. what What's Nikki got you doing? Nikki has me, we're going to put some paneling up in the living room and bedroom and then next weekend we're going away with the beast so the weekend after i'll then be painting the living room and bedroom so with nikki's direction and help of course nice nice bravo keeping you busy hey no yeah. rest. Lovely. I, I hate i hate uh diy but anyway you may not be ready for some diy but are you ready for some true crime i was born ready Great, let's get going then. Listeners, I apologise throughout this um, episode. It's raining really heavily here. Can you hear that, Rachel? Can't hear a thing. Uh, well, just in case it does get picked up at some point. Um, uh, yeah. Sounds like I left, left Dublin just at the right time. You did indeed. But if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'd like to take us back to November the 4th, 2005. We're going to the village of Forest Row in East Sussex. Forest Row is a small picturesque village with a population of around 5,000 people nestled within the Ashdown Forest. We're in the early evening with a temperature around 9 degrees Celsius, which is around 48 degrees Fahrenheit, with no rain and not much wind. Now I'd like to introduce you to a family. We have Marion Ed- 
Edgington, who was 60, divorced, and it's her home we're visiting today. And it's a Friday. She was being visited by her three adult children, Nicola, who was 25, Tom, who was 23, and Sarah, who was 20 years old. They had come together to enjoy a weekend together. As now they're all adults and had left the home, they didn't see each other as often as they'd like. And it was bonfire night the day after. There had been some tension, though, upon arrival at the home. At first, Tom and Nicola had arrived, and Nicola, who wasn't very close to her mum at the time, had gotten into an argument with her mum, an argument that had carried on from the day before, so generally tension between the pair had existed for a while. I mean, what family doesn't have a little bit of tension? Exactly. Sounds like a normal like run-up to Christmas, bearing in mind I appreciate it's November the 4th, but... You know, it's just like exactly. everything bubbled up, doesn't it? It's the wrong type of fireworks. But the reason for the tension, Marion had been concerned a while about Nicola because she feared for her mental state. Their relationship had strained and she'd even taken Nicola out of her will. Wow. Nicola had attended a local comprehensive school where she was reportedly an average student. And as a teenager, she was described as intelligent and outgoing with a strong interest in sports. After completing her education, she went on to work in various administrative and clerical roles and um, service roles. Nicola's adult life, though, took a turbulent turn where she began to experience mental health issues. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now, now Rachel, I just wanted to very briefly explain schizophrenia as because sometimes we get so used to terms, we hear them, and we get so used to what TV and films tell us, it can actually veer from the truth sometimes to make good entertainment. So I thought I'd just give a very brief what schizophrenia actually was. Yeah. Schizophrenia is a chronic and severe mental disorder that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. It's characterized by a range of symptoms, that can impact an individual's ability to function in daily life. These symptoms typically fall into three main categories, positive, negative, and cognitive symptoms. So positive symptoms are symptoms that involve the presence of an unusual force or perceptions, such as hallucinations, delusions, so false beliefs, and disorganized thinking or speech. Negative symptoms are symptoms that involve the absence or reduction of normal emotional or behavioural functions, such as reduced emotional expression, lack of motivation, social withdrawal, and diminished speech. And cognitive symptoms, they're symptoms that affect a person's ability to think and process information, and they can include difficulties with attention, memory, and problem solving. So that's just a, a very brief overview, just because sometimes we hear it so often and TV and films will tell you that schizophrenia is just hearing things in your head. Mm-hmm. And actually, like something to kind of to kind of point out that you've highlighted there, it's so complex and everyone just kind of buckets like, you know, schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, like whatever that looks like. They just bucket it as, you know, voices in your head like of ill ill mental health and all of that but it's so complex isn't it and um and i guess as well you get a lot of different people on varying scales as well exactly now the exact cause of schizophrenia is unknown but it's believed to be a result from a combination of genetic environmental and brain chemistry factors 
A typical treatment typically involves a combination of antipsychotic medications and various forms of therapy, which can help manage symptoms and improve the quality of life for those affected by the disorder. And actually, though some people can live perfectly normal and average lives while being diagnosed with it once they are being treated. And it's, it's probably also essential to note that schizophrenia affects, affects each person differently, as you've just said, and severity and the course of the illness can vary wildly. So it's not just about a person talking to themselves and hearing things in their head. As you, That's what you normally think about you because of what you've learned off the TV and films. Yeah, and actually I know of people, I don't know the, the people directly, I know of people that hold down like full-time jobs, relationships, their parents, they are medicated and they are living incredibly average, normal day-to-day lives um, because of the like marvellous modern medicine. Exactly. So going back to Nicola, Rachel, her life appeared to be relatively ordinary on the surface. Despite her diagnosis, Nicola's condition was reportedly manageable with medication and therapy. However, as I'll hopefully expand on, you soon see that there's such a complex interplay for all of us between mental health, personal circumstances, and the choices that we make. So to coin a well-used trope, you never really can know what we will do or someone else will do in the future, can you? No. So there had been tension between Nicola and her mom. Just a few days prior to them getting together, the family getting together, Marion, Nicole's mom, sorry, Nicole, Nicola's mom, I don't know why I keep calling her Nicole, Nicola's mom, had written to the social services because she was concerned not only about Nicola, but for her son also. Part of the letter she wrote to them said this, She's the most unstable I have known her to be, and for the longest period too. We don't know if it was as a direct result of this letter, or there were other factors, and this letter just played a part in it. But the day before Nicola would visit her mom, her son was taken into care. Oh. For his own safety, by the social services, so he, he was put, put into care. Even though Marion actually looked after him most of the time, the mm-hmm. son was taken into care. And so I'm taking it that part of the tension that was bubbling was over the fact that she was losing control. She just lost her son. Yeah. And and for the few days before the visit, Marion would also tell friends that she was scared that Nicola might try to hurt her. Oh, wow. So I'm a picture on what's going to happen here. Yeah. Back to the 4th of November. Nicola and her mum was arguing. Sarah hadn't turned up yet, the other sister. So Tom arranged with Sarah to meet him and Nicola at a local pub because he wanted things to calm down, so he offered to take Nicola to the pub for a while. So while at the pub, it had become apparent that Nicola had become obsessed with a cousin of theirs who had stabbed someone to death previously and was in prison for that, for that offence. And in addition, he noted Nicola's notebook that she had with her, and she had been scribbling over and over the names Bin Laden, George Bush, and Reggie Cray in it. Oh my God. So Nicola, Nicola, even though Tom had taken her to pub to calm her down, to get in a better spirits, Nicola couldn't let it drop. Their sister joined them, Sarah, but she would just carry on talking about their mum. But now she started threatening her mum and telling anyone who would listen that she wanted to hurt her mum. In the pub? Yes. Quite locally? Oh, yes. Wow. Her behaviour in the pub got increasingly erratic and she was eventually kicked out of the pub. 
and she agreed with her siblings, Tom and Sarah, that she would go home to, to her home, not the family home. Right, so she got kicked out of the pub, and as did her siblings, they all went. No, 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 her siblings stayed in the pub. Oh wow! I she mean... she told us she told them that she was going to go home, not to her mum's home, but just to go home. Yeah, no, that doesn't wash with me. Your sister is saying stuff like that, and then getting kicked out of a pub as well. That's like your pal being too drunk. You take them home. Yeah, don't maybe, but they don't, don't forget they don't live. They didn't live near them. On, but yeah, I know. I see what you're saying. You don't know the dynamics, or you don't know how. No, I know. They were used to her behavior stuff. So I, I'm not. I'm not defending them, but no, no, I get it. But so. the evening turned into nighttime. It was Tom and Sarah. They were actually relieved that Nicole Nicola had left, not only so they could enjoy the evening, but also the weekend ahead because it would stop any arguments between her and her mum. Because they knew, yeah, they knew that had she stayed, the arguments would have just carried on all weekend. Yeah. Now, at around 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so the early hours of the morning of the 5th, they both returned home from the night out to the mum's home. Upon entering the home, they'd encounter a sight they'll never forget. Oh, their mother, Marion, was dead in her cottage, laid on a floor with several stab wounds. She had been stabbed a total of nine times, in the face, in the neck, in the head, in the shoulder, and in the back with a kitchen knife. Tom, the brother, phoned 999 to get an ambulance, but it was more out of hope than anything else because his mum was already dead. Yeah. It quickly became apparent to the police that they were just looking for one suspect, Nicola, releasing a press statement saying that they didn't believe she was in the area anymore, If, but if anyone had any information to contact the police, but they didn't consider her a threat to anyone else other than herself, and they were concerned for her mental well-being. Sarah, Nicola's sister, and this actually might allude to why they didn't bother taking her home, but Sarah, Nicola's sister, would also release a plea to the press, pleading for her sister to give herself up. She would say in the appeal, and she was talking directly to Nicola here, that the family were devastated and they couldn't fully process what happened until she gave us so she had given herself in the obvious and understandable understandable dislike she had for her sister because you know her mother was dead it was clear to see because when she was asked by the press to describe her she could only say the only way to describe her is a chav oh wow and when she was asked what nicola did for a living she answered your guess is as good as mine oh wow like absolute no respect at all for each other or for for her sister Nicola wow yeah she she did go on to say in the press statement that her mother would do anything for anyone that she had a kind heart and helped pay for her kids to go to boarding school by doing people's laundry and looking after them as they grew up and she said the entire family was struggling to understand what happened I wonder and like going a bit off script here but I wonder when they took Nicholas's son off her, whether there was any sort of clinical assessment on her done in terms of like, could she behave out of kilt now because of as a result of, of our actions taken taking her son off her? You know, like Yeah, I don't we've know. We've learned a lot in recent time about, you know, the reactions when people with mental health complications are not treated properly like postnatal depression somebody swooped in and took your kid off you that would that would not help the problem 
it would like make it far worse. So we now know, um, and I'm like, I see like medical professionals like treating mother and child when it's quite severe. Um, and I wonder like whether there was any regard when they, you know, took her son off of her for her paranoid like um, diagnosis. It's a good question. It, it never came up, and there was lots of investigation into this, but I'm assuming not because it probably would have come up. Yeah. Um, Nicola managed to evade the police for almost three weeks, eventually being arrested after being found in a car during a routine traffic stop. Oh, wow. Nicola would plead guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility on the 23rd of October 2006, almost a year after the attack, and would be sentenced to stay. To a stay in a secure medical facility for life. That's just going to upset her siblings. Diminished responsibility. Yeah. He threatened in the pub, and like they, they've probably spent years and years eye rolling with her diagnosis and her mental health state. But you know, and I appreciate obviously with her diagnosis, she was not in a sound state of mind, likely when she committed the crime. But it's that's so tricky, isn't it, to um, for her family to hear. Yeah, and it's interesting. You don't know this case, do you, then, Rachel? No. Okay, it's interesting that it's a good it's a good comment, and maybe you'll revisit it later on when you hear more of the um, story. But yeah, she was um, sentenced to indefinite stay within the a medical facility, or until she got better. Now, her sister Sarah would, after the sentencing, put out a simple statement reiterating how much they thought of marrying their mother and that they feel that she, her mother, would be happy that Nicola was now somewhere, not only could she not be able to hurt anyone else, but she would get the help she desperately needs. So you're probably thinking, Rach, I'll probably along with the people listening, well, that's a sad story, but it's really short, and maybe not one of the best choices for an episode. But as you know me by now, Rachel, unfortunately, the story does not end here. So if, yeah, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. We're going back to October the 10th, 2011, this time, and we're in the town of Bexley Heath, which is in the southeast area of London, England. Now, Bexley Heath is a bustling suburban town full of shops, cafes, and a thriving community. It's a typical weekday morning, with people starting their day, heading off for work or for school, or for a similar thing. The temperature is around 12 degrees Celsius, which is around 54 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's a cloudy day with a slight breeze. At around 8.30am, the streets are busy as the locals go about their morning routines. So I'd like to now introduce you to Nicola Edkington, who is by now 31 years old, as it was six years since she was sentenced to an indefinite stay in a secure medical facility, and three years since her release from that medical facility. Oh, wow. Nicola was in... you found me exactly the same, like a person with exactly the same name, not that she'd be released. Yeah, so Nicola was in a local Asda, displaying erratic behaviour. Oh, goodness. she just bought a 12-inch kitchen knife, but due to her behaviour, the security guard had tried to detain her. After a brief tussle, she broke free and managed to escape out of Asda. Close to the shop, there was a bus stop. At the bus stop was Kerry Clark, who was 22, and she was an aspiring artist living locally in Bexley Heath, who was on her way to work. Kerry had her earphones on, but out of the corner of her eye, she became aware of a woman, who we now know to be Nicola, approaching her aggressively. Kerry said this, 
I saw a woman lunging at me with a knife. She had a knife in her hand and was angling towards my chest in a downward motion. She was screaming, you fucking bitch, you fucking bitch. My instant reaction was to put my hand up and try to protect myself from the knife. I had a blade in my right hand, but I kept, but I felt her pushing more of the knife. So I went back to try to avoid it. I fell to the floor as she was on top of me. I had to fight her off. I was looking at the knife. I had, I have a vague recollection of her face, which was so aggressive. She was on top of me with a knife still at my chest. I still had, had my hand around the blade. I was trying to get her off me or get the knife from her. I kicked out at her and whilst, whilst I was on the ground. As soon as she was away from me, I got up. I had the knife. I said, what's wrong with you, you crazy bitch? She said, I am not the crazy one. You're the one with a knife in your hand. Oh, my God. She appeared angry. She asked for a knife back. I You're told her, me. no, I told her to get away. She's not going to have it back. She looked bewildered. She just left. Stop and call the police. Well, this is all um, happened very quickly. Right, okay. Uh, So Nicola then calmly walked away into another shop, the British Meat Market, which was a butcher shop. Oh, dear. And she grabbed a meat cleaver. Despite the staff trying to stop her, she managed to keep a hold of the cleaver and ran out of the shop. And she, she managed to do it because she basically threatened to stab a staff member. So rightly so, they just backed off and let yeah. her leave. So walking along the same road in the opposite direction, Nicola, Nicola was now running in. So going towards Nicola was Sally Hodkin. Sally was 58, married, a mother, a grandmother, a law accounts manager who was on her way to work, just like hundreds, if not thousands of times before. She usually caught the bus. But this time, was on her way to catch the train. She was just 500 yards from her home. She wasn't to know the danger, Nicola posed. She was just quietly going about her day when Nicola pounced, jumping on her and stabbing her in the neck. With a meat cleaver. Yes. By the time Nicola had finished, she'd almost cut Sally's head off. <gasps> Such was the viciousness of the attack. She then left Sally dead on the pavement and ran off, entering a nearby tile st- shop. As she ran into the store, she saw the shop manager, Ryan Higgins, immediately telling him that she should have been sectioned last night and that she wanted her medicine. Telling him that she'd hurt someone, that she thinks she's killed them, and he should call the police. As he as he downed 999, she left the shop to be met with the police who had come to arrest her. As they did, she started crying, saying, I did it, I did it. Oh my goodness. So she was arrested, and now... I'm going to go into her release from the medical centre and what led up to her attacking people. So I'm not going to go into the actual court appearance. So suffice to say, she was arrested. She was charged with murder and attempted murder, and she went on trial. She pled not guilty to murder, but just like when she killed her mom, guilty to manslaughter due to diminished responsibility. The jury ultimately would deem that she was guilty of both murder and attempted murder, with the judge sentencing her to life with a minimum term of 37 years. So, and this was like two years after her initial arrest. So, Rachel, shall we now get into why and how this might have happened? Now we know what happened. Yeah, absolutely. I'm intrigued. So now you see why I picked this case. It wasn't just a case of her killing her mom. Yeah. So, So as we all know now, 
After the death of her mother, she was given an indefinite stay order in a medical facility. Yet just three years later, she was released to be monitored into the community. Mm. Nicola was released after three years because staff at Oxley's mental health unit that was in charge of her care deemed her suitable for release and dependable to live in society. So how it works at the time, now I'm not sure it still does work this way. So if anyone works in the this sort of area, please let us know. But there was at the time what was deemed a fast-track track process that allowed suitable people to be released. Now, this process meant that it didn't go via the usual method, seeking expert opinions and going to a tribunal, medical tribunal, on a person's ability to be released. Rather, that the body that had the care of the patient would recommend one way or another for a ministerial, depart- ministerial department to decide. A later report that came about as an investigation into possible failings found that in Nicholas, and actually the same as some other people, but in Nicholas' case, they recommended her release. There were other opinions from professional people linked to her care that differed, but those opinions were not put forward to the Ministry of Justice. Same as the opinions of Nicholas' brother and sister, who both voiced concerns that she was still dangerous and needed help. The report found that the report that was sent to the Ministry of Justice failed to mention Nicholas' denial of any memory of killing her mum, which was widely believed to be a lie, or that she seemed fixated on making fast progress so she could be discharged. They also ignored reports from the staff of her facility about disruptive, abusive and rude behaviour by Nicola on the ward that she was on. So when she was released, she was immediately released into accommodation with low levels of supervision. The police and other agencies who should have been notified about her release were not, and repeated warnings made by her brother and sister were ignored by the care staff. She was allowed to visit Jamaica to see her strange husband and her son, not the same son as before, a different son, and when she returned, the care staff ignored reports from her ex-husband that while she was over there, she repeatedly became violent and threatened him with a knife. That the report stated that they were too ready to accept Nicola's explanation of events for worrying situations that happened, like not always taking her medication or consuming drugs, illegal drugs. Overall potential risk of violence to others in the community was not adequately considered by her care team. Her life had started to unravel again and she was increasingly getting worse. She claimed to be pregnant and suffered a miscarriage, though this was disputed as no evidence could be found that it ever happened. But, you know, it could have done, we just don't know. So far, Rachel, that's quite damning, isn't it? Yeah, and also incredibly sad, because this woman, like, two people have died unnecessarily, like, mum and innocent victim on the street. Um, and also someone's life has been put at risk. She'll probably never like be the same again, right? And the family and people who knew this this Nicola, um, like the caregivers on the ward, were all rallying for her case to be reviewed properly. But she was just allowed out to kill again. Um, and it's just incredibly sad. She failed, like, by at so many different points. Exactly. Now, I hate using the word unfortunately, but unfortunately, that was just the beginning of errors that could have prevented the death of Sally. On the day before the killing, she sent a text message to her brother Tom that read, I am missing mum bad. 
I've just had a miscarriage. And to be honest, no one is taking care of me like she did. Love you. Kiss, kiss, kiss. So the response she got back from her brother was blunt and to the point. They said this. You stabbed her to death and left me to find a body. It's good news about your miscarriage. People like you should be sterilised. Do us all a favour and cut your wrists. Oh my goodness. I'm not sure I could ever forgive someone if they killed my mum, even if it was my brother or sister. I don't think I'm a good enough person to do that. I don't know if you are, Rachel, but um, it's a very, very harsh text message. I don't know if I'd say that, but, but yeah. Yeah, you are right. We, as humans, don't know how we would behave or respond to our own sibling if they had killed our mother. But yeah, that is incredibly like upsetting. Exactly. In in the early hours of the morning of the day that she killed Sally, Nicola turned up at the minicab office and displayed aggressive and worrying behaviour, repeatedly telling the cab office workers that she needed to be sectioned. When the police turned up, they would eventually take her to hospital around 4.30am. Now the police left her there, but Nicola was getting frustrated at the speed things were happening. Once the police left, she made 21 calls in total to various people, her social workers, other professionals, and to the police via 999. She would tell the police in one of the five calls she made to them while at the hospital that she was not feeling well, and the last time she felt like this, she killed her mum. She would also describe herself as a dangerous schizophrenic who needed to be sectioned and that she was worried she might kill someone. Now, the police were criticised because it seems at no point from her being picked up at the cab office to any point that they were with her or subsequent calls afterwards did they actually check the police national database. If they have done, they would have seen her history and dealt with her differently. So when she made the first 999 call to the police, some 15 minutes after they dropped her off at the hospital, the officer who dropped her off was contacted about her, and as such, it was deemed she was in a safe place, so that call and all the others were downgraded and not considered a priority. Wow. And that's not like, that. that's a system issue, isn't it? Like, that's not the call handler's fault. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. She was, she was transferred to a mental health unit, but she was treated as a voluntary admission, so she could leave at any time. She was put on a 15-minute watch while paperwork was sorted and filled out. This meant that she was checked on every 15 minutes, something which was later criticised, as it was deemed she shouldn't have been considered a voluntary admission in the first place, and she should have had a 24-7 watch on her, so someone basically with her at all times. She would later tell police this. This is Nicola talking. They just kept tapping at their keyboards, I told him I was going to hurt someone. It's all their fault. So at 7am, she told a staff member she was leaving and going to call her care provider, and she walked out, catching two buses back to Bexley Heath. Now, it's worth noting that, just because I know some of our listeners like to read up on this, some early reports had her running out of the hospital, chased by two nurses who couldn't catch her, and she jumped in a taxi and left, and they told the police that she had left and gave them the taxi details. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. At a later stage, those nurses were found out to have lied to protect themselves, so they both fired. Uh, She did just walk out and told them she was leaving, and they let her walk out. Wow. And and again, like, you know, look at the probable pressures on the, like, facilities that are supporting, like, mental health patients. They're probably stretched. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. 
these these nurses have just completed a night shift. I'm not condoning for one minute that they should have lied, but they're probably overworked, underpaid, exhausted, and just covering their backs because aren't mistakes bound to happen when all of those things come together? Well, yeah, this was in the mental health unit and it was the Oxley's mental health unit. And at the time, there was an investigation because of this and it was found that, now I can't remember the number, but there was a number of patients that they let release early, which they shouldn't have done, that was in there for violent crimes or sexual crimes. And they went on to carry on and commit other violent or sexual crimes. So Nicola, unfortunately, wasn't the exception here. So once she got back to Bexley Heath, she went into the Astor supermarket, and that takes us, us up to where we started earlier. I know you can see why I picked this case this time, Rachel. So what do you think about this one, then? Just really sad. And, like, I don't think there aren't a, there aren't a lot of cases that you do that aren't sad, um, if I'm honest. But uh, this one's particularly cutting because this woman has almost known the danger of herself on others. Um, and like given plenty of signs and warnings to family members, friends, care workers that have just gone unheard. And uh yeah, she's let um her like thoughts take over and 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 cause the death of two people, one one her mum. It's it's so incredibly sad. It is and and just worth knowing, I didn't put in the in the script or anything, but uh, she was found guilty of murder and attempted murder. So they rejected her pleas, pleas of diminished responsibility. And basically it was argued why they should reject it, the jury. And the reason why they did was because while she was ill, she was fully capable and aware of what she was doing and going to do. Um, that they that she used it as an excuse to blame other people. And apparently this is what she did with her mum. So because she had the chance to not be listened to straight away and walk out, she knew that she could go kill someone and blame others, which is why and her appeal also was rejected for that. She appealed on the left of her sentence and it got rejected. So I'm not saying she wasn't sick, but it seemed to be the medical professionals knew or said that she knew what she was doing and she was always as an excuse. Now obviously she obviously was ill, mentally ill, because you don't do this anyway, do you? But um the thing is, you have highlighted something really important there that I omitted earlier. When she had the frenzied attack on the woman at the bus stop, the woman took the knife off her. She had a moment. She calmed down. She walked away. She didn't run. She yeah. just walked away, went into the butcher's and took a meat cleaver. Like, there was, I'm not saying an element, like, she wasn't lucid necessarily there, but she went and repeated her actions to seek out another victim. And I can totally see as a juror um, why you would go along on the grounds of she had control and knew what she was doing. Because in in those in the run-up to that after that first attack, if she'd have fled like and not repeated the way that she had, you might have said, yeah, she had um she had a like a, a moment again. But it I don't know, just it, it seemed like there was an element of of control in there slightly for me and as well I know that they're not meant to take it into consideration I'm sure that they didn't but it would be lurking in the back of my mind that she got on the grounds of diminished responsibility she got six years or three years sorry well she got an unlimited sentence didn't she yeah so she got 
um she got three years sorry and um and that that's probably lurking in their minds that you know on the grounds of diminished responsibility the the, the judge might not send down a sentence that puts her in like no one else's harm in future so yeah. if she's given a prison sentence she will be jailed and you and i obviously don't agree that you should be like sent to jail for 37 years without any opportunity to um rehabilitate but um the jury's probably thinking for the safety of of everyone well what you can do though Rachel and is if say she got she got the 37 years if she's deemed to not be suitable to be in prison because of a mental health issue she'd be transferred but because she got the 37 year sentence what that means is if she's ever deemed to be safe for release during that time, instead of being released, she'd be transferred back to prison to save the rest of her sentence. So um, that's that's how it works. So so that's how if it doesn't mean I don't know what happened to her afterwards, but it doesn't mean that within a few weeks she wasn't just transferred anyway to, to a medical facility. This that's really ch- interesting and that, that seems like it would stop people from you know kind of trying to cheat the system and it would, but the problem is if someone's deemed like say um diminished responsibility you can't do it that way because you're punishing someone for something when they don't have responsibility for what they did yeah if that yeah. makes sense so yeah. It, it yeah it's but but that now even if she gets sent somewhere she'll just get sent back to prison so wow. um it's a sad one really so many areas and so many things that could have prevented it yeah, like she could have got caught so many times, like, and not slipped through the net, couldn't she? Yeah. If only, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, but back in 2005, was it 2005? Yes, when yeah. this happened, like, if only at the point her son was taken off of her, there was some sort of care for her as well. Um, yeah. you know, we could be, it could have been a very different story that we wouldn't be sat here talking about today. Exactly, exactly. So shall I wrap this up one, Rachel? Yeah. This has been Season 2, Episode 24, titled Early Release. If it's safe to do so, and I call you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Yesterday, today, or tomorrow, there's always someone that you, you may look at when you're out and about, and they make you feel uneasy. Their behaviour is slightly off, but you usually just shrug it off, because it's your mind playing tricks on you, should you. So thank you, everyone. And until next time, we shall see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. Bye.